You're listening to WERA LP Arlington, 96.7 FM. And this is The Melting Pot, where we learn about Arlington and what people eat. I'm your host, Mel Chang. When I started this radio program three years ago, I wanted to do this as a way to learn about the cultures represented in my community. And my favorite way to explore and experience different countries is through food. But I often forget how hard it must be for immigrant chefs and cooks with limited resources to come to the DC area and open a business, much less one featuring a cuisine that might not be familiar to American taste buds. My guest today started a business specifically to help emerging immigrant and refugee chefs. In 2016, Noopsa Philip Vong launched Foodini, an online restaurant that delivers meals to DC and Arlington. And one of the things unique about Foodini is that you can try Ethiopian, Iranian, and Lao food all in one order, kind of like an online food hall. Noopsa, join me in the studio to tell us more. Foodini is a online restaurant um, where we hire and feature immigrant and refugee chefs, and we help them prepare and sell their home recipes direct to customer. So what that means is you can go to our website, foodini.com. You can mix and match all different kinds of foods, cuisines from different places, and uh, have it delivered to you for dinner. Um, we do traditional catering as well. And we recently started a partnership with Whole Foods where we have a food stall inside a Foggy Bottom Whole Foods store. So why? how did you why? get this idea? Yeah, yeah. So it's very actually uh, very personal uh, to me. So... Um, I'm originally from uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, and I moved out to D.C. Gosh, I can't believe it's almost five years now. I came out here for grad school at Georgetown. And for me, I'm I'm from the Hmong community, which is a northern ethnic group from Laos, um, also in like Thailand and, and Vietnam, southern China area. Um, and so I grew up eating Southeast Asian, you know, Hmong food my entire life. And so uh, a lot of it's home-cooked, made by my mom and my family. And when I moved to D.C., you know, I was just craving that kind of food, and it was tough to find. And so I was thinking maybe I could connect with a local auntie or grandma in the neighborhood and just buy some of their food. You know, I was like, how do I find these, you know, these local chefs try to purchase some of their food? And, and really, I think what uh, kind of I realized was, you know, looking at my parents' story as refugees coming to this country, you know, they didn't speak English, not very much education, so... You know, I grew up seeing my parents very little because, you know, they were always trying to provide for the family, have multiple jobs. Um, and really that was kind of that turning point in what Foodini is. And that's a place for people like my mom and my dad to, you know, they have a skill set already making their home food, their native food, and giving a place for people like them to prepare it, you know, earn a good living um, and be able to share it with not just their immediate community, but, you know, everybody Originally, we were thinking, oh, people could just cook out of their homes and, you know, we could connect that way. Obviously, there's a lot of, you know, food regulations and just things like that. So we now we have a central kitchen where all of our chefs come work together. You know, you hear Eritrean music in the background and somebody speaking, you know, Iranian and you know, or Farsi. And you have like it's just a, a truly a melting pot. Yes. <laughs> uh, in the kitchen. And so we're able to really, really uh, see that 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 beautiful kind of mixing of cultures and people. And then we deliver the food from there. And why did you decide to do the delivery route? Um, I know a lot of people start with food trucks or, I mean, I, I know you're also doing catering, but why delivery? When we, I had the idea, the concept of Foodini, 
that was right around the time when, you know, peer-to-peer technology stuff was really taking off, right? Like the Lyfts, Ubers, Airbnb. And so we really started to see, oh, wow, technology could be used in a way to empower local creators, right? That's that's kind of how I saw it. And so really using online as a, as a way to connect customer and chef and really start to build that community, those relationships. And we really didn't just see it as like peer-to-peer, okay, I buy it, you sell it. It was more of really coming back to like who's the person behind the food right like how do we tell their story how do we let them know like when you get this meal from this person you know they made it because their mom taught them this way and they like to use these ingredients um, because it's it's a tradition that was created in their families and so we saw it as a way not just to be transactional but also community focused Mm -hmm. um, really connecting people because even today when you go to a retail you know restaurant you don't really know who's cooking your food um, you could say, you know, the chef by, you know, made by the chef, but reality is you go to the back of the house and you have prep cooks, line cooks making your food. Um, and so for really, for us, it's like, we want to build that connection, that human part of sharing food. So and you I'm, felt like there was less middlemen if you just have delivery because it's just the chef, the driver and the customer? Yeah, I think that's a big piece of it. And then the other part is that by taking an online model, we can actually have and bring on and hire more chefs, right? Hmm. For us, it's about impact. It's about, you know, investing in our people uh, and giving an opportunity to, to more people. So if we were brick and mortar traditionally, you can only fit so many people inside a restaurant and make a certain amount of food, right? But if we have a commercial kitchen where you can hire 10, 12, 15, 20, you know, chefs, and now you're impacting so many more people, um, we really saw the online model as a way for us to do that. And were you also capitalizing on how lazy people are? Like, not the chefs, but the customers about with cooking and just wanting to call up or order online Sure, their food. sure. I would never call our <laughs> customers lazy. I didn't actually really even think about that when we started the online process. I think what I was really, really focused on was that the customers, the people in D.C. are naturally curious, right? You have this really kind of unique place where D.C., you have a mix of so many different people and cultures right people are transient they're coming here for work they're coming here for school and people are naturally just curious because they're coming to this place they want to meet people they want to taste different things they want to maybe experience something that they had in their home country right that it's been a very long time and so really our focus was let's let's connect with these people let's Mm. give them something that they're looking for and that they're they're kind of excited about and what they want to try and then it's a way for people to try things maybe they've never had before, but then also the other flip side is maybe have something that like they're familiar with and reminds them of home. That's how I looked at it when we when we were originally looking at customers. I think the amount of time that we've been you know operating now, we do see now customers who are looking for the convenience factor, yeah. which totally makes sense, yeah. you know. And I think we're we're trying to figure out how do we still provide the core part of what we believe in, our mission and our values. But how do we do that in a way that can connect with customers who are looking for that convenience factor? Right now, you deliver within D.C., and then you're expanding to Arlington. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're actually already in Arlington. Yeah, so yeah. why why Arlington? I mean, you could have gone north, Bethesda, Silver Spring, or you could have done Alexandria. Why Arlington? Yeah, I think Arlington is a place where people are, a lot of people who commute to D.C. to work, or they, and then they, but they live in, in Arlington. And so... You know, they're still looking for that kind of food. They're still looking for that kind of experience. What you get is 
Maybe people don't want to wait in line, you know, at a hot new restaurant for three hours in D.C. And they're like, I got to get home. But, you know, I still want to experience something really nice and really unique. I think Arlington makes, you know, a lot of sense because you you have like an area like Roslyn and Clarendon and these areas where they want that culture. They want that experience. And so we thought it was a really good place to to go into. Plus, it's a large area. You get a lot of diversity of people who live here. And it just it just made a lot of sense because it's, you know, just right across the river. Is it that your customers are looking for their own home cooking or you think it's more that they are seeking just to try someone else's cuisine or what do you think they're looking for? Yeah, when we first started, it was really, you know, what, what I was seeing from our customers was they they wanted to try something a little different. They were maybe uh, curious about, you know, oh, I've heard of Lao food before. Yeah. Like, you know, I hear about it. I just never had it before. Um, and this was a really nice way for them to do that. And I tell you why why it's a really nice way for people to try something they've never had it before, right? Because we have so many different types of foods. You can have like a, you know, like a chicken shawarma, right, from Syria, where you've heard of it. You Maybe you've had it before. You've done a donut kebab or something like that, right? Yeah. And then you see, oh, what's this other stuff? You know, what's the other menu here? And they'll look at it, you know, for the first time. And once they have the the chicken shawarma, and then they're like, wow, that was really good. What else can I try? Then they'll come back and they'll say, oh, maybe I'll, okay, let me try this this time. And so you get to, to see a really nice progression of people who, you know, have something familiar, but then they're then able to kind of jump to something a little bit different. And then you have people who've never had Lao food before, and now they just love it, yeah. right? And so you get that a lot. We see that a lot. And I think... You know, that's that's kind of been the the process for a lot of our customers. I guess I'm really curious about how are you finding these chefs? It's been a process, I'll tell you. It's been something that, you know, we've had to figure out. I went to business school at Georgetown, and, the, you know, we talk a lot about strategy and the hard skills of business. But yeah. what's really, I think, at the heart of any successful organization is people. Yeah. How do you help people get to be successful and be feel that they're supported and can be, you know, the best that they can be, right? I think building a, a culture that allows people to be able to be a part of something and build something is really important. And so when we first started, it was, um, you know, me literally asking my friends, hey, do you know anybody who oh, like really? can cook or something like that? Yeah. Um, and it was like really hit or miss. And a lot of times we'd set up a meeting when I was going to church in, in uh, Arlington at the time, I was working with one of the, the staff members, and she works a lot with the Hispanic community, the Latin community. They were like, oh, yeah, let me let me introduce you to somebody. And, you know, I met this nice, very nice woman. We had to sit down. We talked. We set up a time to come, you know, basically do a tasting. And so we were like, all right, next week, next Thursday, we're going to do the tasting. So next week comes, I give her a call, and she and she just doesn't respond. You know, and I think what a big part of what I realized was, you know, she doesn't know me. Yeah. She doesn't trust me. Like, who's this person trying to use my food or like maybe right. steal my recipes right. or just like this is pretty, you know, when when you're looking at a diaspora communities is like they're coming here with very little. Right. So like what can they hold on to is their stories, their memories, you know, their food. Right. And in a lot of ways, um, very much like my family, too. We need to figure out a way. How do we build that trust? How we build that that legitimacy with with these with these different people, potential candidates, and so uh, luckily our first chef, Chef Mem, uh, who focuses on Lao and Thai food, my friend who's Lao, she was like, "Hey, this woman at the temple makes like amazing food. She might be good to like 
be your first chef. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so my friend set up a tasting at her house. You know, we sat down, we talked about Fudini, what we wanted to do. And she made this huge spread of food, like six, seven, eight different dishes. And like my first bite, it like just transported me back home because Lao food, Hmong food is like very similar. And so I was like, oh my gosh, we need to make sure that we can feature you, get you on Fudini. So she was, you know, that was just a lot of luck, right timing, just knowing the right people at the right time. And so, but more recently, we've been working with a lot of organizations like International Rescue Committee, um, Lutheran Social Services, my church as well, National Community Church, where they're working with, you know, refugees and and immigrants when they resettle in the United States. So they're able to identify, like, who's looking for a job, Uh, you know, who wants to work in food, what kind of skill sets they have. And so they're able to create a pipeline of like potential candidates, uh, right? So, so and the additional benefit is like the their their clients, the people they're working with, they trust them. Yeah, like they've been working with them, right? Versus us just coming in like as strangers yeah. and being like, "Hey, let me help you sell your food." <laughs> like that doesn't you know it doesn't work. So, our partnerships with these organizations have been so critical to us being able to to find chefs, hire chefs, feature them. And, you know, so far they've been just fantastic people, organizations to work with and help us, you know, support our mission. And is then the goal for them to get their own restaurant at some point or start their own business? Or do you want them to stay within Fudini? Yeah, I think what's great about what we're doing is we're able to support chefs at all different skill levels. So you could have, a, you know, a woman who has been cooking her whole life for her family and family parties and she just does amazing food and then you have somebody like chef Majid who's who's professionally trained right right, as a chef in Syria and so you get all different types of skill levels and we're able to kind of plug them in where they are comfortable but also provide opportunities for them to grow right that's really important it really just depends on what the ambitions are of the chef right if they someday want to open up their own restaurant like you know, for us, it's like, how do we give you the training, the tools to kind of learn how to operate your own space in America, right? That's different right. from somewhere else. And so, you know, I think that's what's really neat about, you know, the partnership with Whole Foods so far is like, as a chef, you get to go there, you get to operate, manage the space. How do you want it to run? You know, those are all really important things when you're looking at it someday, maybe if I want to run my own place. Um, but then also we have opportunities for chefs who come in and maybe they they, you know, they wanted to be a senior chef at Fudini Sunday where they're actually teaching, you know, the new chefs that come in and help uh, develop uh-huh, them, right? Uh-huh. And I think that's, for us, the goal is providing not just economic opportunities, but economic mobility, giving them a space to go after what they, they want to do, you know, what their goals are. And so, you know, it's the early stages, you know, we're just trying to figure all that stuff out. But like I said, the, you know, I think the more we invest in our people, the more successful we'll be at achieving our mission, but then also you know, just from being a successful business. Can you talk more about how you work with each chef in creating a menu? I'm so curious because there's so many different variables to consider, like what you think will sell, what they like to cook, and then also if it's being delivered. Like I know with Chinese food, it has to be hot, like right out of the walk, but you you lose some of that with the delivery process. So how do you guys figure that out? Yeah, I think you're on, you're, you're very on point about that. There's so many, there's a lot of different things we have to think about. Uh, first is, you know, we want to feature food that is good, just yeah. tastes good, right? Yeah. So for us, it's like, what do you usually make for your family? What do you usually make for your, you know, if you're having a party for your niece's birthday or something, right? So we try to just make a space for them to feel comfortable 
making the foods that they're used to and like that's the stuff i want yeah for me personally yeah. right like i don't want to eat what's on the restroom menu i want to eat what like what's on the secret menu right, right. Like, that's what <laughs> i want to eat right it's key. what's the secret menu here and then we'll look at factors like season seasonality we'll look at how do we package it you know so that it comes together fresh or just a way that's presentable and how it's authentic to the experience right we want them to eat food enjoy the food customers to have food that is authentic to the experience authentic to the culture right so what we'll do is uh, we'll look at that and then the other piece of it is just what we think customers might be craving or what are we missing in the menu like do we need more appetizers do we need something a little bit heavier a little bit lighter maybe dessert uh, so we kind of look at all those different factors and and, and kind of choose what's the best and it's not really you know at this point we're not trying to have a huge 30-page menu for Foodini. I think we want it to be more curated, yeah. more specialized. I think that's kind of been the process that we've learned to work with. Hopefully, customers have been liking it. I think they have been. But that's, yeah, in a nutshell, kind of how we go through the, the menu process. Is there an economic pressure to Americanize any of the dishes? Definitely. I'm not going to, yeah, I wouldn't lie and say that it, there isn't. Do you have meat on the bone? And yes. Any of these you yeah. do do meat on yeah, the yeah. bone. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That is an interesting way to put it. Um, but yeah, I think for, you know, you got to really, really think about balancing, like staying true to the food and the culture, but then also like knowing it's going to take maybe a little bit of learning from the customer standpoint to yeah. kind of really appreciate the food and, you know, where it's coming from. And so I think that's why building that human connection is so important because what I want to do right at the end of the day is, the best foods that I've had, I've enjoyed have been like at my mom's dinner table or like my grandma's house because I'm able to see them make the food. Yeah. Right. They're putting their love and their passion into it. And at the same time, you know, that's kind of the experience we want to bring to the customer. And so it's like telling the, the chef's story, right? We have card. Yeah. I noticed you get, right. the, you get the personalized note Personal from the note, chef about the dish. Right. They're able to kind of maybe write a couple notes, little message about like why they chose to make it this way. And it's, you know, when you get a delivery, let's say it's like a kind of a complex dish to put together, right? Like we want to provide instructions on how to eat it like a local, mm. right? Like how do you enjoy it? Like, you know, like somebody who's, you know, eating it as if you were in the country or just at somebody's house, right? right? right. That's what we want. And uh -huh. so, so we try to provide that experience so that it's, it's a rich experience, that it's a unique and, and inclusive experience. But yeah, I think we always have to kind of balance, you know, that with what can sell and what you know what might be a little bit too much right now and i think that's what's great about where we're at right now is we're kind of looking at okay what what other ways or could could there be for us to connect with customers and i think if we're looking at future like pop-ups or maybe a restaurant someday where you can do those kind of you know really unique dishes that yeah. normally you probably wouldn't like you know order for delivery but if you're going to this thing to experience something special or, or unique then it might be a good opportunity to try those things. What are some of the most popular items on your menu? I think for me, what we've seen so far is, you know, the chicken shawarma. Obviously, is is that under Syrian? The chicken shawarma is a uh, Syrian. Okay, that's been a huge hit um, from a Lao the Lao menu. There's a dish called nem cow, which is like a crispy curry coconut rice. Mm. Very very like it's like refreshing almost like it's heavy but it's like refreshing which is like awesome we have uh, a dish from iran called kufta which is like a giant meatball uh -huh. and it's got like inside like in the center of the meatball is like a, 
like a mixture of like some nuts and some berries as well. Oh, so wow. it's like a little bit sweet and tangy. And then the Eritrean food, the Eritrean menu, we have, you know, this dish called zigni, which is like a buttered beef stew. Mm. And it's like, like, it's like ridiculously good. So we get kind of a mix of everything. We have people, you know, it's nice to have the chefs be able to have like those hitters, right? Those big hitters. Yeah. The cup kind of and they're like getting the feedback way. too right. about what's selling and right. what's popular. You know, we meet with our chefs and we talk about okay, this is going well. People are really liking it. This isn't so much. Maybe we maybe we look at some introducing something else, or maybe just it's not the right season. Uh, so we always have that feedback loop so chefs know what's working and what's not. And and so far, you know, yeah, it's been going well. What are some things that you've seen on your menu that you you can't find anywhere else? Yeah, I would say the kufta. Let's see the the zigni. I've been to a lot of Ethiopian restaurants. I haven't seen zigni. Uh, that's been a little bit different. Chef Mem, she does these uh, saku yatsai, like lalao dumplings. So those are like tapioca pearls Ooh. on the outside. So that's like kind of like it kind of has like a mochi texture. Yeah. Uh, and then on the inside, it's like filled with like some ground meat. She likes to use ground turkey. So that's kind of her 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 style. She likes to try a little different here and there. It's got a little bit of ground turkey, some peanuts inside, crushed peanuts inside, and a little bit like a hint of, of sweet. But then what you do, you top it with a little slice of uh, chili pepper. Mm. So you get like the chewy kind of mochi with, with the savory and sweet. And then boom, like you, you hit that pepper and it just like explodes, <laughs> right? So it's a kind of like you go on this little journey. Um, that's something that's been really unique for her. How do the chefs feel about this whole process? What are some of the challenges that they were facing before, and then how has this changed them? You know, we talk to our chefs, and we learn about, like, their story, where they were, you know, before coming to the United States, and and then coming here and being like, man, the work was tough. Like, you get people who, um, you know, were doing very manual, high manual labor jobs and, like, not getting paid very much. Um, and just trying to survive, you know, that transition and not knowing the language, right? Like, not understanding what, it, you know, how to even, like, for instance, one of our chefs, like, didn't know how to buy a car. Like, so I I helped them buy a car, <laughs> you know? You know, that's just a little snippet of, like, the challenges of them coming here. Like, even the basic things of just how to how to live and function here is, like, if they're at a normal job let's say like house cleaning right you're a housekeeper or you're a, you're doing like packaged food for like an airplane or something right yeah they don't feel like they can ask people for help like oh i don't know how to buy a car can you help me buy a car right like just those little simple things where they feel like there's somebody who who might be able to help them figure some of this stuff out and so that's been my personal experiences is that just those little things like that you know matter and and it's like that's the space we want people to to be in, to know, like, you know, when you come to work, it's not just a place of work, but it's a place where you can ask for help or you can learn something new and, and take that with you wherever you go. So what's next for Fudini? Are you hiring more chefs, expanding markets? Will they be? Will you guys be in the Whole Foods in Clarendon? Ah, <laughs> good questions, good questions. Uh, yeah, I think for us, we really, first we want to expand our delivery to, you know, all the rest of the parts of the DMV. I think that's been really important. Um, and then secondly is developing a partnership with Whole Foods so that we can be in more stores, we can have a, a, a farther reach, um, and hopefully that you will be seeing us uh, some foodini at Clarendon soon. Lastly, uh, what's your comfort food personally? Oh, comfort food. I would say 
my mom makes this delicious fried rice that uh, every time I go home, she makes it for me. And what's in it? <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of morphed over the years, um, but usually she uh, she makes it now with brown rice because she's huh. had to change her diet for health reasons. But she usually does a mix of like rice, a little bit of like fresh vegetables. Like she'll put like large chunks of vegetables in there. She makes this like egg omelet, and then she'll like cut it up, and throw uh-huh. it in there, um, and then either whatever meat is in the fridge, right? And if it's like you know some pork or um, some turkey or just some beef, so slice it up. And then I don't know, it's just like always like really fresh, like uh-huh. ref- it's like not heavy, yeah. which I think is like really interesting given it's like rice that and then she makes these things called i don't know what other people call them but we call them galampao which are basically like these large like steamed pastries uh-huh. so on the inside you have egg with like a, a marinated pork with mm. onions and it's like a giant like usually the size of like a baseball or maybe like a grapefruit and then like you just eat it like an apple and it's just like <laughs> delicious and i'll usually eat like five or six of them in a setting that's the stuff I think about, you know, when I think about home food, comfort food. And then just the normal sticky rice with some grilled meat. You could call it mung sausage, which is like a, a special sausage uh, in our community. You just dip it in some hot pepper and then you just eat it all together. And it's, yeah, delicious. Yeah, I'm so uh, hungry now. <laughs> Gibsa, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Yeah, thank you. I posted a link to Fudini on my Facebook page, Arlington Melting Pot. You can find links to my past episodes there, as well as on Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Twitter, and iTunes. Special thanks to Lynn Borton for introducing me to Fudini and showing me how Noops's curiosity and his customers' curiosity launched this company. You can listen to Lynn's show, Choose to be Curious, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. right here on WERA. Today's episode featured the music Something Elated by Broke for Free and Nothing to Lose by The Chromonauts. Thanks for listening to The Melting Pot on Radio Arlington.